0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: another edition of the Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. We've got another great show for you tonight. A lot of sports activity to talk about. Roger Henler is stationed in Atlanta as always. Our executive producer is in Bradenton Frank Carroll. He'll have a dedication in just a moment and of course Roy Cummings who always joins us at the first half hour to talk about a myriad of things and we'll get to that in just a second as well. And, of course, the Lightning keeping an eye on what's happening with Toronto. Well, they got off at a whirlwind pace tonight against Chicago. They were tied 1-1 after two and a half minutes, but now Toronto has scored two goals. So, with about eight minutes to go in the uh, very first period, it's 3-1 Toronto over the Blackhawks. So, before we get started, Frank, you've got a dedication. Let's get to it.
2: Hi, Don. We want to uh, thank uh, all the lovely ladies out there that listen to this program because their husbands are uh, Valentine's was yesterday and we want to thank them and, and uh, say thank you for allowing your husbands and, and yourself to listen to the program. February is a very important month to the, the uh, Fighting Words family. Uh, February 6th is, the, uh, is Frankie's birthday. February, February 11th is Kathleen's birthday. And uh, on the 18th is uh, Brady's birthday. All three are are very active in in the uh, um, programming, and all three are very active in helping us uh, promote the the program. Uh, Frankie's been with us for uh, 14 years. Kathleen has been in from the very beginning.
0: Uh,
2: She's our executive vice president, and Brady is uh, an on-air host uh, for uh, 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 T-Power on uh, our new program on Tuesday nights. If you listen in at uh, uh, 8 o'clock to 9.30, uh, they have a myriad of uh, of people talking. Uh, They're pushing the uh, USFL. Uh, They talk to uh, people from hockey, uh, from the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Rays, from the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning, and from uh, the uh, Orlando Magic. So uh, it's really gotten to be an exciting program to listen to and watch. So, again, for everyone, uh, everyone there, uh, we want to thank you for listening.
1: Well, we hope we have an exciting program for them tonight, Frank, and let's get right to Tampa, Florida, because Roy Cummins <laughs> is standing by right there, and uh, I guess we'll start off, as everybody does, with a little uh, bit of an afterthought of the Super Bowl. So, Roy, we'll get your comments first.
3: Yeah, I thought it was one of the best, uh, Super Bowl games, uh, we've seen, uh, period. Uh, I, th- I mean, obviously, uh, anytime you got a team coming back in the fourth quarter, that's, uh, that's something special, um, really well-played game, I thought, uh, the officials for the most part stayed out of it, uh, <laughs> couldn't get, uh, couldn't get through the entire game without a controversy, but I think they got it right in the end, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, look, the two best teams clearly, I think, uh, in the league went off against each other, and, uh, and I thought they both uh, really played well, and um, you know, it's it just it was kind of a, a situation who's going to, you know, who's who's you know almost a kind of a game of attrition uh, with some of the uh, you know the way some of the injuries were, and you would have thought that that uh, ankle injury really would really would have hurt Mahomes, um, but at the end of the day, he just uh, he gutted it out, and uh, you really got to tip your hat to him. Uh, tremendous opportunity, you know, for him obviously, and making some big plays. And, I just thought that uh, at the end of the day, I thought um, Andy Reid kind of out outcoached uh, Philadelphia a little bit, uh, running the, what what I kind of refer to as the KC special there, uh, with that uh, that that short uh, motion and then uh, just throwing back out to that guy as everybody goes the other way. Fulfed uh, the Chiefs or fooled the Eagles twice with that, and uh, I think that was the difference in the game, really.
1: No question, two walk in goals. You don't normally see that when you have touchdowns with whether... it. <laughs> Couple of walk-in goals with nobody within 20 yards of the receiver—it's really amazing. But Roger, let's get to you because you were very much involved with the Philadelphia radio stations with what's happening in Philadelphia. Even though you're in Atlanta, uh, the difference of opinion in Philadelphia about the game.
4: Well, absolutely. But uh, you know, uh, I I agree with Roy, and uh, I now if you talk to some of the radio. Uh, uh, personalities uh, like Christopher Russo is adamant that the official never should throw the flag, even though the, it w- was uh, confirmed, but you just don't do it because it was ticky tacky and that ball couldn't have caught anyway. It was out of bounds. And that's what they should have done. But the other well, first thing, of all, is, it wasn't uh, ticky
1: tacky. He held them twice. Once when he tried to make the move to the inside. And then the second time, when he tried to make the move to the outside, and if the officials did not call that, I would, I would think uh, you would hang him up. I mean, that's a definite <coughs> penalty. No question about it. Anybody that argues that is absolutely wrong.
4: Not disputing that, Don, but you just don't do that at that spot. That's what a lot of people were saying when it well, wasn't because called of, enough referees,
1: game. enough uh, officials don't have the guts to call it. He called it. Well, He's one of the top officials. He made the call. He's right. There's no argument in my mind.
4: Well, the the, the the people will argue it. Okay, let's put it that way. But anyway, uh, uh, getting back to it, uh, Jonathan Gannon did an absolutely horrendous job of uh, uh, being the defensive coordinator, and now he's the coach of, Car- of uh, uh, Arizona. And a lot of people think he had too much on his mind that he didn't even leave Arizona. He went right there and signed the next day. So uh, the I'm, I'm not we a lot of people are not fans of him. They haven't been. Uh, they feel he, he doesn't uh, push it too much and, uh, on defense and uh, not aggressive enough. But uh, I you know the, it could have been one. Uh, I think the real big play was the uh, the, the penalty which was uh, caused uh, the uh, third and six and the and then the fumble. That's where I think the game was really won. Because if that uh, had not been a penalty, it would have been third and less, one or less. And then your chances of having the fumble would be a lot less. I mean, it was just a, a, a fluke play, but uh, that's what I look at. I don't think people have talked about it enough. About what the impact, uh, how much of an impact that play, that penalty had
3: on the game.
1: Well, I'll let Roy get in with his comment before I jump in. Go to it, Roy.
3: Yeah, uh, it's hard to argue that uh, the penalty impacted. Look, every play impacts the game uh, to some degree. Um, Others more, you know, much more than uh, than 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 some, but. yeah, the fumble obviously is a is a big one. Uh, the couple of penalties. I mean, you know, Kansas City had a hard time getting off the field at times, you know, and uh, early on. And, uh, you know, penalties uh, were hurting them. So, you know, there were a couple of offsides there that did for a while. I mean, look, here's the bottom line, guys. The bottom line is the Philadelphia Eagles had a lead, and they couldn't hold on to it. You want to blame oh, yeah. the defensive coordinator for that? You certainly yeah. can, I guess. But uh, to me, I, I don't look, and I haven't seen every Chiefs game. I uh, certainly haven't seen every play of every Chiefs game. But um, I, my guess is that the the play that they ran with the short motion, and then the the, the receiver going right back out to be be at the target for the pass. I don't think they've run that play. Uh, my, my, my surprise, I'll be surprised if they ran it three times all year, and uh, then they ran it twice in the you know two series. So, uh, you know, it's hard to be prepared for some of the, those things. That's coaching. And um, it's hard to be prepared for that. So, uh, you know, it's but at the end of the day, uh, the Eagles had a lead and couldn't hold on to it. I don't know if that's you know from lack of aggression. Uh, they they had plenty of sacks this year. Let's not forget that. Um, so I think they were they were aggressive. I think they're gonna lo- I think they're gonna
1: miss their two coordinators,
3: guys. I I'll, I'll be surprised if uh, this doesn't have some impact on this team going forward. Um, you know, Roy, how great I agree of an impact with you hundred
1: percent. I think it's gonna be a tough tough sled earlier for uh, the Eagles to make that transition. And secondly, uh, for the good sake of the Giants fans, they lost neither their offensive or defensive coordinator. They're yeah. going to stay, uh, which should help the, uh, the Giants a little bit and their movement trying to catch up roster-wise with the Eagles. So uh, I think those moves are going to make a, <clears throat> a major difference. The other thing is, like both of you guys to comment. I thought Hurst played a great game. I thought he got all the credit, and I did see today that he said he would definitely not renegotiate his contract at this point. Uh, he's already told the Eagles he's not going to look for an extension. He's not going to get involved in that. But I thought he played a great game. The only thing is, he made the two mistakes. One of them you pointed out just there, Roger. made two mistakes that you can't overlook. One, the fumble when the Eagles had all the momentum going for them, he made the fumble after that penalty. But the prior to that, the penalty itself. He's the quarterback. He's got to look at the clock. He can't get a delay of the game penalty there. He, he, and, and the other thought factor is he's got to get some help from the coaches on the sidelines. When they see the clock's down to two and they're not prepared to go on a fourth and a half a yard, they got to call timeout from the sidelines. They didn't do either one. So I think two big plays missed by Hurst and one big play missed on the sidelines in that case, and the other ones from a defensive standpoint, the motion, uh, two motion uh, touchdowns, uh, just amazing to me. Roger,
4: Guys, yeah, well, ahead, a couple Robbie. of things. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, Doug Peterson ran that play that they that the uh, Chiefs ran twice in the Jacksonville game against the Eagles early in the season, and it was successful. So a lot of talk that uh, Doug told Andy that uh, look at that play, you know, because let's face it, I mean, Doug's not a fan of the uh, uh, Jeffrey Lurie after he was fired, okay, winning a Super Bowl. That's number one. Number two is I think without Hurts, they don't even come close in that game the way they played. I mean, I mean, he really was the key uh, for the uh, Eagles in that in that uh, game. But I really? do agree. I was just going to say I do agree, uh, you know, with, with the mistakes, and uh, that happens in every game.
3: Yeah, Roger, I agree with you 100% on, on uh, Jalen Hurts and his impact. Uh, look, I think an argument could be made that he was the MVP of the game. Um, without because you're right without him the eagles aren't in that game i mean what what an incredible uh i mean that that guy's got some, got power in his legs like a steam shovel that that's just amazing, and you know an entire world got to see that i mean it's it's nothing new to Eagles fans, but uh, an entire football nation got to finally see what this guy's capable of in that regard and he was you know spot on with with his passes okay he had a he had a turnover you know those things happen. Uh as you said kind of a kind of a fluky play it, it certainly wasn't uh, uh from lack of uh concentration or anything like that It's just you know sometimes those things happen but no I thought he was the best player on the field uh for for each team and uh would it would have been surprised now the thing going forward guys and this is again kind of riffing off of what I said uh, earlier about the coordinators leaving who's going to be the third coordinator now for uh if I if I'm right I might be wrong about this but at least you know the third I believe the third coordinator now for Jalen hurts in what, three, four years. And I think it's four Roy. If you go back to
0: Alabama,
3: it's, it's
0: only, it's
3: only two there with the Eagles. Now it'll be the third with the Eagles. That, that is a hard thing for a quarterback to overcome. um, Because so much is on the quarterback. Uh, You know, the, the players just go out there, you know, I mean, if they bring in a new coordinator and, and everything suddenly changes, you know, the, the verbiage changes, the language changes, you know, the, the play calls change. Uh, you know, you've got to learn that stuff. It, 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 it puts you behind at a time when this guy should be soaring uh, into his prime here. And, and it, can just, it can just slow you down. Um, I, think, I, I think it's something that a lot of teams – now, look, there's not much you can do about it. Um, but I think a lot of teams fail to recognize the impact that has, particularly on young players. I've seen it here with Tampa Bay – Repeatedly. I mean, Sean King had four coordinators in, in his first four years as a Buccaneer quarterback, and it, it basically ruined him. Or, I'm sorry, if you go to including the year he went to, to Detroit. It, it ruined his opportunity to really be an effective quarterback. Um, but it happens on both sides of the ball. But the quarterback is obviously the one who gets hurt the most in these situations because he's got the most to learn. So uh, I think the impact, again, could be great uh, on, on the, the offense and the defense for the Eagles going forward. And that uh, you may not see a, a sharp a uh, uh, Jalen Hurts next year right out of the box. It may take him six or eight games to figure things out under under the new coordinator. So um, uh, be careful about what uh, what happens there. I mean, you've got what, what appears to be a you know a little mini dynasty going here. I mean, you could, but obviously the division is tough. But uh, I think the Eagles are the you know the best team in it. But at the end of the day, um, they can be hurt by these uh, these losses. The O.C. is disagree going to with that. I think
1: think that, uh, that pretty coach. much come to fore with, as you mentioned, any number of teams. I think your statement earlier uh, in the half hour, too, uh, in all honesty, I have to say that Andy Reid uh, out-coached the Philadelphia Eagles in this particular game. Now, whether he got help from Doug or what happened, I don't know, but uh, he made some great, great calls in this game. And also uh, – I don't disagree with you about Hurst being an outstanding player in the game, but the guy that won the game was the quarterback on the other side. I mean, That's you know, true. he went off at halftime with an ankle. You didn't think he was going to come back on. And not only, not only does he pass the ball effectively, he runs the ball effectively and gets him in a position to win the game. So uh, I can't argue with that one other. The one I would take issue with, and maybe you fellows will disagree. I think you could take issue with the press. I read, everything in the New York Post all week prior to the game. I read everything in the local papers down here. I read the USA Today. How many times did they tell you how many of the Eagles were going to sack this guy, they were going to sack that guy, the offensive line was so much better, the defensive line was so much better. Everything was better. They didn't mention anything about special teams. The special teams beat them in the end. Nobody mentioned anything about that. Now, George Allen's always been right since day one. That, that run back on the punt, that, that won the game for him. I, I think the coaching, but I think the press leading up all the stories about these two teams and what they were going to do, 90% of it wasn't right.
3: Well, uh, part of that is, you know, look, you lean on the biggest story. What, 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 what got the Eagles there? What got yeah, but not was, one
1: sack? You, I mean, who could believe there would be no sacks no, in that well, game? Now, hold on, Don. Don't, don't
3: blame the media for, for the Eagles not getting a sack. They right. I'm not blaming them. Sacks. I'm,
1: saying, I'm saying that they're, all they talked about was the sacks they were going to get.
3: Well, I, I think that, I think it was expected that they would probably – I'm sure the over-under was somewhere around four or five. Um, yeah. But, you know, you are facing a pretty damn good team over there. You're facing a mobile quarterback. Now, look, the other thing is you were facing a quarterback – who spent the previous two weeks spent probably more time in the clinic than he did on the field, uh, right. getting a, a high ankle sprain uh, worked on. And at the end of the day, it did take one tackle for that ankle to become an issue again. And right. somehow, granted, uh, obviously uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes gutted it out and, and ran for uh, 15 yards at an incredibly crucial time in the game and uh, you know put his team in position to win it, which is excellent for him. But at the end of the day, I mean, look – the defensive front for the Eagles was, to me, the number three storyline. Right after Hertz, Mahomes, and that—that's the number one. That's the top storyline after the two quarterbacks. It, right. it, it was to me. It wasn't the, the running back. Running back. It wasn't the secondary. It was that defensive front, especially with a quarterback uh, feeling a little lame on the other side. So I—I I was look. How can anyone not be surprised? That the Eagles came away with one sack. And they, they probably, I, I, I think anybody would have bet uh, if the if the over under on that and the prop bet was uh, three or four. Well, they called it a sack because you
1: ran out of bounds. It was a half, it right. wasn't a sack. What? Well,
3: okay, whatever. Bill, I think most people expected uh, the Eagles to get three or four sacks out of that in that game. And had they gotten three or four sacks in that game, they just might have won it. But uh, so right. You, you're right in, in, in making the argument that. You know, it, it, it didn't work out in the in the favor of the Eagles, but uh, boy, uh, to me, uh, that's to me that's that's clearly a storyline. It's, it's rare that you have, you know, several guys get uh, double digit sacks on a team, and I mean, it's hard. Hey, in Tampa, Tampa went. Uh, I was better at numbers than, than I am, uh, better historian than I am, but I was there covering it. I mean, what was it? A dozen years that the Bucks went without a guy who got double digit sacks. The Eagles get what three, four guys in a season doing it. That's, that's, that's rare, very rare. So you expected that line and that defensive front uh, to make an impact. Again, I I think at the end of the day, you got to be careful with with a guy like Mahomes. It's not as easy to get, you know, a sack against that guy. He's very mobile. He's he's very smart. He's going to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, He's going to find ways to, uh, to avoid the sack. He's as good as anybody, you know, in the league at it. So, um, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't think the media missed the mark on that one. It just didn't turn out the way everybody expected. Roger? Well, yeah, a couple things. Number one,
4: uh, it looks as if the quarterback coach is going to be the uh, offensive coordinator, which is good because at least you'll have uh, pretty much stability there, uh, you know, with the guy that's been working with Hurts. Uh, with uh, but but you're, every, you're, both of you were right. The problem in that game was the defensive line not performing, and the other thing was the running game never really got started, uh, except for Hertz. And uh, you know they've got a great offensive line, but Don, why would the the uh, the the, uh, uh, the sacks not be like uh, the third in line? When you saw what they did against San Francisco, that's a good team, and they got the Purdy. You know they were doing that all year. I mean, uh, you know I can understand. I, I expected to have four or five sacks, like Royce.
1: everybody did.
4: Yeah, but it didn't happen.
1: But <laughs> well, like you know what? The uh, young defensive secondary again. of of the Kansas City Chiefs to fold up. They, that the, All the storyline was the young defensive backs that Andy Reid has and how they're going to really be tested during the course of this game. And they were never tested, really. I mean, they weren't tested. At least I didn't think so. I, maybe, I mean, they made some great catches for Hurst. uh <laughs> a ball that he threw, they made some terrific catches for him. Uh, but if you look at the overall picture, Uh, they didn't didn't beat up the secondary of the the Chiefs.
3: No, they didn't. Uh, Again, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, Look, you know, again, I I still take it to this. I I, I go back to this. It was a darn good game. Played extremely well on both sides. Uh, The the officials stayed on it for the most part. And uh, it can be argued, certainly, but... You know, I'm, I'll stand by what I said earlier. The, the 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 call that's controversial was the right call. And at the end of the day, Eagles had a lead and they couldn't hold it because one of the because arguably the best player in the game today made a clutch play. And that's a, you know what? That's a, a lot of times that's how a game, what a game comes down to is who's who makes the biggest clutch play at the most important moment. Who makes that play? Um, you know, this time it was Patrick Mahomes, and you know so. You got to tip your hat to and not take the the not him. and also the coaching
1: staff not letting him go for a here. touchdown at the end, making him run the clock out so there's only four seconds left at the end.
0: Yeah, Ira
1: Coffin, one of the greats, is on the line with us right now. Understand he was all with bad dog today. I did not hear that. Roger did, Ro- uh, but first yeah, of all, yeah, wanna- let me
4: let, let me address that while Roy's on, okay? Because Ira and Chris had a good good point, Ira. Who are your top quarterbacks if uh, if uh, Mahomes was to uh, retire tomorrow? Go ahead. That was a g- great analysis today of you guys.
0: Well,
5: let me start with this, gentlemen. Let's have a moment of silence for La- for Raquel Welch. Let's have a moment of silence, gentlemen. Yeah. Um, you love her. Right? Roy, Roy and I.
0: Great.
1: Uh, I know you knew her well, Iris.
5: Uh, you know, I was I was a little too young for Marilyn Monroe, but uh, Roy and I grew up with uh, Raquel Welch. Uh, fantastic Voyage, One Million Years BC. We saw it all, and uh,
0: classy lady, classy lady.
5: Uh, she she replaced my uh, my Guy Lafleur uh, poster uh, with, with, with Raquel Bomber. Welch in, in, in
3: 1976,
0: um, and I was glad to do it. In your a uh,
4: bedroom, right? <laughs>
0: Russo said to me. What?
5: Russo <laughs> said to me. He said your father didn't mind that. I, I said he had his own poster.
0: <laughs> Why would <was> he mind? <laughs> <lying like? laughs>
5: but anyway, Roy, um, I, I hate to, Roy, I hate to tell you this, but um, we have COVID. Carrie and I, we, we got it. Um, I heard we got it at the wow. we got it at the show. 19,000 people. I had some wow. clown next to me, weighed about, weighed about 280. Um, <laughs> he, he's, dro- he's drooling all over me. He had a mask. He had his mask off the whole show. He's screaming oh, the but, words yeah. of every song. And uh, three days later, uh, we got COVID. And uh, Roy, it's been more than a week. We still got it. Uh, oh, wow. Still testing positive. So uh, it's no picnic. You know, we're all vaccinated, nope. but it's no picnic. Uh, now, getting back, Roy, getting back to the Mahomes question, I, I yeah. was shocked at Russo because um, he's usually pretty conservative about these things. Roy, he, he's got Mahomes in the top five quarterbacks of all time. I mean, let, let's take it easy here. I mean, uh, yeah, take it. E- ha- let's take it easy. There is right. <laughs> I mean, he's had five great years. I'm not going to argue that, uh, but it's five. Uh, he's got him ahead of Dan Marino. I mean, I can't do that right now. Not yet. Um, you, know,
3: you know, yeah, I, I, Ira, I'm with you. Um, look, I understand that he's won two Super Bowls, but, you know, he's got a tight end that's helped him win those Super Bowls. He's got one of the best. He's got a Hall of Fame coach that helped him win yes. those two Super Bowls. It wasn't just him. No quarterback ever, you know, it, it's never just the quarterback. But boy, oh, boy, I'm with you, Ira. I, to me, it's too soon. And, and, and it's, But I, I, my guess is it's all based on the two Super Bowls. You win two Super Bowls. Well, you're in a very small uh, group of guys there. So, clearly, that's yeah. a big part of it. But, uh, yeah, Ira 27 Washington, years so, of age. Yeah, three, not four, four. More. yeah, but, yeah uh, I'm not saying he's not going to Yeah, I'm not saying he's, he's not going
5: to He's not in the top
3: five right now. He's not in the top five right yeah.
5: now. I'm, I'm with Roy on that one.
1: Hey, well, Roy, i your Roy, comments about the game itself before Roy leaves us because we've sort of been going around and around we, some of us disagree. I'm, I'm a leader in this disagreement. Uh, some of your thoughts uh, on the game. Certainly the penalty. Everybody talks about that. Uh, go ahead.
5: All right. Uh, here's what I want to focus on. And I usually don't talk about this too often, but it jumped out at you too much. People want to talk about a call? Well, I'll give you a call. I'll give you two calls. In, uh, man in motion from right to left. He goes back to the right corner. He's open by 10 yards. Man in motion. He goes back to the left, wide open. Nobody near him in ten yards. Two touchdowns. I don't care if it's Eric Bien-Ami, uh I don't care if it's Andy Reid. Roy, that that is some brilliant, brilliant scheming. Um, and that's
0: how
3: you win a Super Bowl. I, I got hats off to the Chiefs. Ira, you're absolutely right. I totally agree. I mentioned it earlier. I said to me that was, you know, that, that's where the game was decided. It was. The, the, the Chiefs outcoached the Eagles. It's that simple. On the field, on the field of play, I think it was all even. You can make an argument that uh, Hertz was the MVP. Uh, Mahomes yes. got the award and rightfully so. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, both teams made plays. Uh, the defenses were, were were solid, not great, but it came down to a couple of play calls really, and those two play calls stood out. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs. Uh, they just out schemed them, and you know twice, and uh, Eagles weren't ready for it. So there you go. Um, also,
5: um, I thought Hertz played a, I thought he played a fantastic game. I thought Hertz made some great throws. He made a big, he made a mistake. It was a big one. He did. Um, the funny thing is, he wasn't even hit on the play. I think he was ch- trying to change hands.
1: Right, but he made two big ones. I'm, I'm he, didn't Her- the, he didn't get, didn't get, he got the delay of the game too.
5: Yeah, I don't know anybody who can't be a Hurts believer at this point. The Eagles are going to be good for quite a while. Um, The Eagle defense, like Roy said, they didn't show up in the second half. I really don't know why. Um, You know, the Chiefs' offensive line is is underappreciated. They revamped themselves after the Bucs gave them a beatdown, um, and that got their attention, and they addressed it. They drafted a great young center, this Humphrey kid, they signed this guy, Thune, at guard. Um, they got better uh, up front. and um, They had two great I thought, tackles. I, I expected more. I expected more from the Eagles front than, than I got on Sunday. I'll leave you guys with this, You know
3: what? You, you, can, you can argue play after play and, and, and <laughs> call after call and, uh, uh, you know, st- to lack of sacks, the whole bit. At the end of the day, I'll say this. I'm not going to put Patrick Mahomes as one of the 5 best quarterbacks of all time, but I think that might have been and I'll leave you guys with this. That might have been one of the 5 greatest Super Bowl games of all time. It had everything. It was uh it was tight, it had star quality, uh Hall of Fame coaches, Hall of Fame caliber players and uh, it was fun and it took it took took it down to the wire, so it was one of the best games ever. Uh right before disagree you go, with that, oh, I but, thought
1: it was one of the best uh, games ever as well and before we get to uh you're a Hall of Fame candidate that got in, and you're doing a terrific job. with your I wanted of... to
4: say something to Roy, Don. I wanted to Go say ahead. Yeah, something to Roy. One, one quick thing to
5: Roy, and, you know, I think Roy knows this. I think Roy knows this, but uh, I was a little surprised. Um, I was listening to the Mad Dog yesterday. Just woke up from a nap. I'm taking a nap every day. I got no energy uh, until this thing passes. And, uh, you know, it was about 10 minutes to 6. He was getting ready to wrap up his radio show. And he took one more phone call. And, Roy, I'm not making this up. Now, I'm listening to this. And the guy says, um, hey, Chris, I got a problem with one of your buddies, Ira Kaufman. And Russo says, what are you talking about? And, and the, guy, the guy said, and he's being honest, he goes, he's ruining the Hall of Fame. He's ruined it. And, and Russo says, what do you mean? And he says, four guys, four guys off that defense. That on a team that won one Super Bowl, that is ridiculous. What's Barber doing in there? What's Lynch doing in there? So, Roy, you've heard it too. Um, Not everybody is unanimous uh, that all these guys belong. I I, I can't believe I'm still hearing this stuff.
3: Ira, uh, you should be commended for getting all four of those guys into the into the Hall of Fame because they all belong there. And if people don't understand it, uh, that's on them. Well, I understand that a lot of people didn't see those Bucks teams because at times uh, they weren't uh, necessarily Super Bowl contenders uh, with that defense, but that defense was one of the greatest defenses of all time, and it was that way for six, seven years. So right. those guys, that defensive unit run by Monty Kiffin, designed by Tony Dungy, led by Derek Brooks, Rondé Barber, Warren Sapp, John Lynch, that defense, is one of the greatest of all time. It's right up there with the, with the midway defense of the Bears, the Ravens defense, take your pick, the Orange Crush defense. It's right up there. It's what kept them contend- as contenders for year after year after year and probably would have won them a Super Bowl because it actually did win them a NFC championship game that they didn't win against the Rams. So at the end of the day, guys, uh, Ira, again, you should be commended for the, the job you've done uh The guy's way off base. Hopefully, Russo had your back on that. And if he doesn't, don't worry about it. You know I will. And so will everybody else in the NFL. <laughs>
1: Russo, uh, well,
6: Russo you, agreed. i You,
1: you, you, Russo agreed you, you, agreed you really, uh, when you were on with us a couple of weeks ago, you said, you yeah, I thought you had a very solid chance. And, and you listed all the yeah. positive things uh, as it, uh uh you know, as, as it went to him getting into the Hall of Fame. I and mean, your presentation must have been good enough to convince everybody else in that room that he belongs where he is.
0: Well,
3: I'm guys give you guys is I will leave you with this. The bottom line, guys, is this. And, and my, I, 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 I can't sit, take credit for this, and I told you this last week. I can't take credit for this. My belief is that, uh, and I think it might have been, I'm not sure who who said this, but someone once said their idea of a, of a Hall of Famer is, can you write the history of the game without talking about this person? You can't write the history of the NFL without talking about Rondé Barber because Rondé Barber, as Ira pointed out in the room, is, is in part of the history. He is the preeminent blot corner. They invented right. the position for him, and he excelled at it. The numbers are Hall of Fame worthy, and the fact that he, in essence, or a position was created for him, and he played it at such a high level for so long, is why he's a Hall of Famer. He was the prototype, flat corner. Everybody's got him now. Rondé Barber was the first, and he was the best. Absolutely. Well said, Roy. Well said. Thanks, guys. Have Thanks a great morning.
1: week, Roy. Thanks, Ira, as take always. care.
3: Yeah. My best to you and Kerry. Take care, Roy. Roy always up. a
1: pleasure. We'll wait for next week in another half hour. Go to it. I'm already Thanks, excited Roger. about it. <laughs>
3: take care, guys. I'm still here, gentlemen. Bye.
5: I'm still here.
1: Uh, Roger quiet. I thought he had. No, I'm here. I'm let's here. let no, because uh, 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 to... you know uh, you, you talk a little bit about your presentation, Irv, uh, because you were. I thought you were very confident. when We talked about it a few weeks ago, and I think Roy pretty much touched on all the things that you mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that we all talked about. Uh, did it go as well as you thought, uh, or better than you thought?
5: Well, I'm going to I'm going to give you guys a little insight into this presentation. Um, it was the third presentation for Barber. Don't forget, Lynch took eight years. This was year three for Barber,
0: right. and
5: um, I talked. I talked to different per- people. I got Brett Favre to talk about. He, you know, of course, the Packers played the Bucks a lot back then. I got Charles Woodson, who I think uh, is Barber's contemporary uh, in terms of versatility. Uh, I got Mike Tomlin, um, and. I'm going to tell you guys what the beginning of the presentation was. Now, you guys are going to love this. And, uh, you you know, the check's going to be in the mail after I tell you guys this story. So uh, be be (laughs) prepared for that. (laughs) Okay. Now, I was doing my due diligence a month ago. And I'm talking to this guy, and I'm talking to this guy. And, well, I decide to talk to John Gruden. Yes, John Mm Gruden. And I track him down. And he was on his treadmill in his office uh, upstairs, and I came in and saw me. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, next week I'm making the case for Rondé Barber for Kent. He stopped the treadmill. He got off. He looked me straight in the eye. He goes, let me tell you something, Ira. If you don't get Rondé Barber in, I don't want to see you around here anymore. I don't want to talk to you (laughs) anymore. And... I've been around, I was around Gruden for seven years in Tampa. I've never, mm-hmm. never seen him as passionate about anyone as he was about Rondé Barber getting a bust in Ken. So we're talking, and you know, I'm asking him for some tips about the presentation and what I should, what I should stress. And he told me a story. Now, gentlemen, I've been doing this for more than 40 years. And once in a while, when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to put a story together, sometimes you get a quote or a story that as soon as you walk away from the guy, you, you, knew, you, you knew that you had the beginning of your story. You, mm-hmm. you had the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
5: happened with Gruden. So he said, well, let me tell you something about Rondé Barber. He said, our trainer, Todd Torricelli, a guy named Todd Torricelli was the Bucks' trainer. For 16 years, he was the buck trainer. And Gruden told me that one day in the middle of Barber's career, Torricelli put up a framed picture of Rondé Barber in the training room. The next day, some players came in for treatment. They looked at the wall, and they said to Torricelli, why are we looking at number 20 while, while we're getting treatment? And Torricelli said, gentlemen, I want you to know what toughness looks like. That's what he Mm. said. Then he said, he's never been in this room. That's what he said. So when Gruden told me that story, the first thing I said to him was, you're making that up. That, That didn't happen. You're making it up. You want Rondé to get in there so bad, you're making it up. He said, I'm making it up, huh? Well, try this. He went right to his cell phone. He dialed Todd Torricelli, answered the phone. Todd says, what's up, Coach? Gruden says, I'm standing here with Ira Kaufman. He's doing the uh, presentation for Rondé Barber next week. Oh, yeah, Ira. Ira's a good guy. What's going on? He said, I just told him the story about you putting up the Barber picture. He doesn't believe me. Then he gave me the phone, and now I'm talking to Torricelli. I said, Todd, is that story really true? Did you put up a picture of Ronde Barber in the trainer's room because you wanted your guys to see what toughness looked like? He said, Absolutely. He's the toughest guy I've ever been around. Wow. I said, Thank you very much. I hung up, I gave the phone back to Gruden. I got back in my I said goodbye. I thanked him. I got in my car. The first thing I thought of, that is the beginning of my presentation, and and it was, and it's a, it's a little bit of a different, you know, to start a presentation with an anecdote, with a story, it, it doesn't usually happen that way, um, you know, usually the, the guy gets up and says, well, this guy, this is the reason that the guy belongs in the hall, or whatever, I had this great story, uh, it goes to Barber's durability, which is off the charts, <laughs> Then I talked about all his accomplishments. And if, if you're great for 16 years and you never miss a game for the last 15 years, I mean, there ain't a lot more to say. Um, nope. And by the time I finished, one of the other voters sent me a message immediately and said that, that, was, that was freaking awesome. And, you know, look, it was, it's only one voter that said that. But, you know, it, it meant a lot. And I I gained more confidence with it. Um, There were about five more presentations after I was done. I was number 10 out of 15. And, um, you know, an hour or two later, we're cutting down from 15 to 10. I was almost positive Barbara was going to make that cut. And then, of course, the big cut from 10 to 5, which he did not make last year. And I knew the guy was going to announce the names in alphabetical order, the president of the hall. So I knew if mm-hmm. I don't hear Rondé Barber in the beginning, uh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And the first name he said was Rondé Barber, and mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I, I didn't even hear the last four names. I uh, <laughs> I was on I was on cloud nine. Now, you guys may not notice, but this was two and a half weeks before the NFL Honors Show. For two and a half weeks, we were sworn to secrecy.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't
5: say anything. Don't tweet anything. Don't tell anybody. Um, It's the second year in a row this has happened, two and a half to three weeks. I mean, that's a big, big gap. Um, And for the second year in a row, somehow, some way, because, of course, the players know uh, about after a week because they're getting the knocks on the door, um, you know, and the family knows and the agents know and everybody around them knows, but it never got out, at least on Twitter. It never got out, and then Derek Brooks knocked on Barber's door, and uh, then they had the NFL honors show, uh, and then he's going to get you know he's going to get celebrated in Canton, uh, and uh, we're going. You know, if, if terrific, I get a buck Ira, in there, that really I, I is a terrific,
1: so, That's a terrific presentation and a terrific story, Roger. You're up.
4: No, I'll tell you what, that's fantastic, and I'll tell uh, hey, you but you're exactly right, Ira well that 's the only way you could start the presentation was with that story because that 's something nobody ever heard before i 'm sure that's, and that's uh, right. and if that if that doesn 't set the tone for the the whole election process i mean you might have been what number twenty uh, or fifteen whatever the case might be but that right. that that could have been the that could have been the opening one for the whole Uh, election process that is an unbelievable tremendous wonderful story now here's one more
5: thing guys that happened um during um during that zoom zoom call um and this guy played in the 80s and the 90s you you may not be that familiar with him he's also a cornerback and don't forget going into the meeting whether whether you wanted him in or not it, it I knew that Darrell Revis was going to get in. I mean, to me, Mm -hmm. it it was no surprise. It was just going to happen. No-brainer. No-brainer. That's a a Mm -hmm. no-brainer. I I can't knock Darrell Revis. I mean, the guy was the best at what he did since Deion Sanders. He he was. And you can't take that away. Now, look, did he blitz like Barber? Did he tackle like Barber? No, he did not. He did not. Um, But they didn't throw at him. I mean, the guy that was uh, presenting Revis, was Gary Myers from New York. And Myers had these quotes from uh, Tom Brady, really good quotes from Brady. Of course, Brady played against Revis a lot in the AFC East. And Brady told Gary Myers he, he didn't throw to Revis' side. He, he wouldn't do it. He didn't want to test him. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. This is Tom Brady no. talking. You right. know, so I knew Reeves was going to get in. All right. So I'm thinking, well, they could put two cornerbacks in. It's not a big deal. Uh, they've done it before with the same position. Then this guy from the 80s and 90s, his name is Albert Lewis. Albert Lewis. He played for the Chiefs and then finished up with the Raiders. He was a six foot three corner when at that time in the 80s, 90s, that, that was a big corner. There wasn't too many guys like that. Um, he wasn't quite as good as Rivas in coverage, but he was very, very good in coverage. He played for a lot of Marty Schottenheimer teams in Kansas City. Um, they had a really good secondary, Kevin Ross, Duran Cherry. They had a very good secondary, Kansas City. He was also a special teams phenomenon. He blocked 12 kicks in his career. Whoa. 12. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, 12, 12 punts um, or extra points. I mean, that's a big, big number. Now... Mm. <laughs> Here's the last thing that, you know, really worried me. I was starting to really get nervous. For whatever reason, and we still can't figure these things out, sometimes guys slip through the cracks. That's why you need the senior committee, you know, to uh, Mm. overcome some of these mistakes. Albert Lewis, you know, this was his 20th year of eligibility, 20. He had never been talked about in 19 years. He never made the finalists. So here it is in year 20. If he doesn't get in the hall, he's going to go into the senior pool. And once you're in the senior pool, it's hard to get out. It's very Mm -hmm. hard to get out. There's like 50 guys in there with with great cases. And every year they they take one or two or three out. It's hard. You could get stuck in. Um, We call it the abyss. You know, it's like the senior abyss. You go in there, you're, you're probably not coming out. And... So here's, here's Albert Lewis, never been talked about. Somehow he gets on the ballot of finalists in his final year of eligibility as a modern-day candidate. Everybody in the room knew if you don't elect him this year, he's going into the senior pool. Everybody knew that, which probably means he's never going to get a gold jacket. That's what it means. So when you add all that up, that the guy was a top-notch player, special teams phenom, played the same position as Barber and Revis. And he's got a little bit of a sympathy vote because, hey, we could make Barber wait another year. He's not near the end of his eligibility. So then when the guy presented, um, you know, Albert Lewis, all of a sudden, you know, these people are talking him up, you know, like he's the, the greatest cornerback ever. Uh, which is hard to imagine because he never even was discussed before as a finalist. So you know, people said, "Well, how come he's never been in the room before? How come he's never been talked about?" And they said, "Well, first of all, he played for some bad teams. They weren't in Super Bowls. They weren't on prime time. You can get lost. You can get lost." And um, and so now we have a chance to rectify a mistake. I got to tell you guys. Uh, all I was thinking towards the end was, Jesus, if Revis and Albert Lewis make the final five, they're not going to put three corners in. Ronda Rondae's right. going to be the odd one now. Um, thankfully, it didn't happen. I feel bad for Lewis because now he's got to emerge from a list of 50 guys. Who knows when he's going to be up for discussion? Who knows? There's people ahead of him you know, that have never even been talked about. So,
1: well, I you know, I'll tell, tell you, you about great, it. a great segment yeah. tonight on the show. I appreciate so much your coming to giving us all the background of what happens. You're not going to really have a candidate, uh, just to wind it up, you're not going to really have a candidate in the immediate future. Uh, w- w- what do you see quickly in, in uh, uh, when you may be making another presentation or if you're going to?
5: Well, you make a great point. When the meeting ended and I knew Barbara got in. I said to my wife, I said, I think I'm done. I think I'm done as a presenter. Uh, Simeon Rice, maybe, maybe. I think he's a long shot. Fuck fans can't understand that. But, guys, you know, he's got 120 sacks. It's a good total. But, you know, Julius Peppers is coming in next year as a first-year eligible. He's got 155. Mm-hmm. He's got 35, 35 forced fumbles. Julius Peppers intercepted 11 passes. I mean, that's phenomenal uh, from a left defensive end.
4: 11? Yeah.
5: Um, So, you know, you got guys like that. Dwight Freeney tried to get in last year. He didn't get in. Jared Allen, heck of a player.
0: He's trying to
5: get in three, four years. He can't get in. Uh, I'm not that bullish on Simeon Rice. Look, I saw him play. He was a very, very good pass rusher. He was from the blind side. He had that strip sack. He was a very good postseason player. He could have been the MVP of the Buck Super Bowl in 2003, uh, but they counted the votes at halftime, and he had no shot. But, um, uh, he's not, you know, he might be one of these guys that's the whole of very good and, and not, not great. Um, other than that, uh, you know, what are we talking about? Mike Evans could play yeah. another five years, then he's got to retire for five years. I probably won't be on the panel, so I told my wife, <laughs> I, I think that's it.
6: Um, and, You know, I'll well, try thank,
1: thank you, thank you so I'm very much, me. and I hope what you'll do is, is join us, uh, join us every now and then. Forget about uh, the Hall of Fame momentarily, just to talk about some of the transitions of the National Football League uh, over the uh, over the off season, and then going into the uh, 23 season and the coaches that are changing offensive coordinators are changing defensive coordinators players are moving around uh your expertise would certainly add a lot to the show i hope you'll join absolutely
4: us. hey and take Happy care of yourself
1: that's number one get well beat
4: Thanks, that guy always
1: uh, absolutely thank you so much let's take jump here the well. baseball care, because of Spring training, boys, is getting ready. I'm going over to get my credentials uh, Saturday morning here. Of course, Baltimore trains right here in Sarasota, so we'll be heading over there to get our credentials. But we have Dan Baker on the line right now. Dan is a, well, he's in a class by himself. 51 consecutive years as the PA announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies, at all the ballparks in Philadelphia, and I want to tell you what a great guy and a a pioneer, a Hall of Fame pioneer in Philadelphia. And, Dan, you had a tough year. You went to the banquet this year, and Roger will tell people listening to us right now, Roger, you were part of the selection committee for the most heroic, and uh, Dan Baker was it. Go ahead, Roger.
4: Well, there was none better and uh, none more courageous. Uh, Than Dan, and uh, it was just a special night that uh, my uh, son, my grandson, were still talking about it, and uh, the, uh, Dan, and it, it it just was a special night, and uh, as I said in the uh, presentation, Dan and I go back first meeting on a Friday afternoon in January 1966 at 3201 South Twenty Sixth Street in Philadelphia, the home. channel 48 right dan
6: it was a long time ago roger uh, you
0: you
6: you did a great job with the uh, introduction of the uh, philadelphia sports writers most courageous award and uh, i want to thank you very much and uh, don and frank you
4: know i love you you know you know that
6: well i love you guys too and it's great to be with you and You always have terrific guests on and uh, listening to your last guest, uh, you know, uh, some of the names I heard him mention, you know, Kevin Ross, you know, uh, out of Paulsboro, New Jersey and uh, Temple University and Darren Cherry from Rutgers, a couple of, you know, great defensive backs. Well, Dan,
1: we're getting into the baseball season and you've seen the ups and you've seen the downs over 50, going your 51st year this year. But right now, when you look at the National League East, uh, it's going to be quite a battle up there at the top and the Phillies should be right there.
6: Well, they should. Uh, And, uh, Don, uh, look at what the Phillies did this offseason. Of course, they had the strong finish. Um, And uh, you have to think that, They're better positioned uh, to get to the postseason in 2023 than they were in 2022 uh, with the addition of Trey Turner, uh, you know, one of the top shortstops in all of Major League Baseball. And uh, Taiwan Walker is, you know, now a starting pitcher, maybe Andrew Painter, uh, a 19-year-old. Uh, will be part of that starting rotation. Uh, Some people uh, regard Andrew as the top pitching prospect in all of Major League Baseball. So, you know, the Phils, uh, I think, have a really bright future. And, of course, uh, you know, it's so hard to win a World Series when you think, like last year with the Phillies, uh, the, the wild card series the National League Division Series, the National League Championship Series. Uh, So they won on three levels, but uh, then they ran into a a very, very good Houston Astros baseball team, uh, the the eventual world champions in the World Series. And uh, it's it's not easy uh, to get to the World Series, let alone win it. Roger? Roger? Well, it's,
4: you're exactly right about that Dan. And uh I think uh the advance uh, ticket sales uh are uh, an indication of the uh, the way the uh uh Philadelphia area Delaware Valley area uh has resurrected uh as fans of the Phillies. And it took, you know, a number of uh of down years and uh but with David Dombrowski and and the staff that he's brought in and the way the minor leagues have improved and the prospects uh it's a, a bright day and uh it's a, a great time to be a
6: Phillies fan. It really is and uh, you guys have seen uh what it's like uh covering Phillies baseball uh what it's like in Philadelphia. Uh, when the Phillies uh, make it to postseason play and the kind of support uh, that the Phillies get. Uh, I mean, you know, the Eagles are such a popular team in Philadelphia, and uh, they get such great support. and uh, But when the Phillies baseball team is doing well, they, they, you can see that Philadelphia is also a baseball town. Absolutely, and, uh, there was a terrific turnout down the stretch last year, and uh, I'm sure as any of our listeners uh, might have heard on national television, uh, how loud the Phillies crowds were in the postseason play, and uh, and I think they're that fan base, uh, Don. And, and Roger and Frank are are energized again, and they're really looking forward to 2023.
1: Well, Dan, I think you touched on it for a second ago. I think they made a great move at shortstop. It's a position uh, that they've been looking for for a couple of years. Uh, Joe Girardi tried to make that transition from a from a shortstop with the Yankees coming down to Philadelphia, but he was just one step slower and one year older and then they had a tough time making that uh, that move. But now they're going to be very solid up the middle. they got a nice second baseman. They've got a nice shortstop. They're going to be great behind the plate, maybe the most versatile catcher in baseball right now behind the plate. Uh, you can't ask for too much more than that.
0: Well,
6: I'll tell you what. How about the job that Rob Thompson did uh, managing yeah. the Phillies and uh, coming in when he did uh, with the Phillies uh Under 500 and, uh, you know, winning uh, 19 more games than he lost the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, he just did a masterful job and uh, had the privilege, as you gentlemen know, to work with a number of terrific Phillies managers. But it's, it's hard to think of a Phillies manager that did a better job than Rob Thompson did especially under those circumstances. Yeah,
4: really pulled the, he really pulled the team together uh and as a team. And uh you know one of the comments that uh I really uh, found interesting uh, was that uh when Rob made his uh, speech at the banquet uh that he said the friend of his that was on uh one of the teams that they played uh, said that uh, in those games against the Phillies it was four hours of hell. And, uh, of course, that was because of the red wave and and the fan support and everything. And you were there, and uh, everybody uh, heard you nationally, and they saw it, and uh, it had to be... Well, compare that to, like, back in 08, 09, in those World Series, Dan, because you you go, uh, you know, all the way back to the first... uh, uh, the one in in uh, in eighty, but uh, what was what was I know it was different then. You had to vet, what sixty five thousand people, but uh, Bird Hoot in that game. But what about the oh uh, eight oh nine more more recent uh, when they were in the World Series?
6: Well, uh, it's hard to imagine Phillies fans being any louder or more enthusiastic. Uh, than they were in 2022. But, uh, Roger, as you point out, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, announcing uh, six Phillies World Series. Uh, Well, you know, in the Phillies' 140 years of existence, they have been to eight. So I've I've had Mm -hmm. the good fortune to announce six of them, Uh, 1980, 1983,
0: 1993,
6: Two thousand eight, two thousand nine and two thousand and twenty two uh, and i can tell you that in years when the Phillies are good and Philadelphia supports the team, I mean the the support is so vocal, it's so loud um, and I think it can be intimidating for a visiting player uh, with all the all of the noise that they make. But uh, I, I like to dwell on, you know, the, the positive uh, crowd noise in, in terms of their cheering for the Phillies. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just terrific. And uh, it's heartwarming if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, a Phillies baseball fan, uh, to hear that kind of support for the home team.
1: Dan Baker, our special guest this segment. And Dan, uh, I like, you know, I like a lot of people listening across the country and uh, and, and on their uh, computers and so forth and so on, you don't know where they're listening to us, but wherever they are. Uh, and you talked about it uh, a number of times when we've done the show. Uh, you went all the way back to Bob Shepard and actually sat in the booth with Bob Shepard, who I guess he still holds the record, right? You're, you're climbing up on it, but I think he has the record but you actually sat in with them uh, trying to improve what you were trying to do.
6: You're absolutely right, Don. uh, I started in 1972 with the Phillies and, um, B- uh, Bob Shepard, um, and Pat paper of the Chicago Cubs are the only two PA announcers in major league baseball history with more seniority than me. Um, Pat Piper actually uh, is the leader at 59 years and mm. he was a great announcer for the Cubs uh, at Wrigley Park as Wrigley field was first known when it opened in 1916. Uh, well, uh, Pat Piper uh, started as PA announcer that year. He had actually been working for the Cubs in another capacity uh, And, uh, through 1916 through 1974, a total of 59 years, uh, for Pat Piper, Bob Shepard, the great, great voice of Yankee stadium and the New York Yankees, uh, 57 years, uh, 1951 through, uh, 2007. And, uh, Bob was 97 years old when he retired. And, um, He was uh, already uh, a household name and uh, had a great reputation when I had started. And uh, I went up to Yankee Stadium a couple of times and uh, sat in with Bob uh, just to listen and learn and observe uh, this wonderful, wonderful announcer. And, uh, you know, Bob... uh, Had a couple of mottos, you know, uh, keeping it uh, concise uh, and uh, to the point and uh, getting in and getting out with your announcement, wasting any words, and uh, just a great voice uh, uh, and uh, a a wonderful role model for anybody in this business, Bob Shepard. Yeah, the funny thing was,
1: he was a a, a, a college professor. Uh, He wasn't really a baseball fan.
6: Yeah, uh, he was a a professor at St. John's. I I believe that he was also a quarterback on the football team at at St. John's. Uh,
1: I did not know that.
6: Yeah, and of course you know that for 50 years, he was also the voice of the New York Giants football team. Well, and uh, like me, uh, Bob also uh, announced some Army-Navy football games, uh, and uh, I had the privilege of announcing the Army-Navy game uh, for 13 years, uh, uh, every year. But this past season, uh, that the game was played at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, I announced the Army-Navy uh, game in, in uh, Philly, and uh, from the time that. It, they started playing at Lincoln Financial Field in two thousand three, um, and uh, uh, Bob Shepard used to come down to old uh, John F. Kennedy Stadium that you gentlemen will remember on the site oh, of what is now the you know Wells Fargo Center, and uh, so Bob announced some Army Navy Classics.
4: Dan, Roger, you're up. Yeah, let me uh, just uh, with Bob Shepard. Didn't they continue to use his introduction of Derek Jeter even after he passed away until Derek Jeter retired? Isn't that the way it worked?
1: Yes,
6: yes. Uh, Derek Jeter had such respect uh, for uh, and admiration uh, for Bob Shepard that uh, they. Bob, they took a recording of Bob's introduction of Derek Jeter, and uh, they played that every time Derek batted at Yankee Stadium uh, for the rest of his career. And what what a salute, what a tribute to Bob Shepard. And, uh, you know, I like the great, you know, uh, Don brought Bob's name up. Don and Roger and Frank Carroll. I, you know, there is a great story, uh, among PA announcers about how in 1956 or so, I was that the year that Mickey Mantle won the triple crown? Uh, you know, um, most home runs, most RBIs. Right. Uh, I think you're correct. I think you're correct. Yeah, I think you're right. yeah. And yeah. well, anyway, it's my understanding that, uh, at the, uh, New York sports writers dinner, uh, following that season, uh, Mickey Mantle uh, went up to uh, Bob Shepard and uh, introduced himself, and uh, it, and I, even though Bob had started in 1951, apparently they weren't acquainted, other than admiring each other's work. And uh, uh, Mickey Mantle said, uh, "Mr. Shepard, I just want to introduce myself." Mickey was getting, you know, an award naturally at the, At the dinner, and he said, "I just want to tell you uh Bob that uh, every time you introduce me, I get goose pimples and uh well, bob Bob Shepherd said to Mickey Mantle. Mickey, every time I introduce you, I get goose pimples. <laughs> you know, but I, isn't that a great tribute uh, to a great announcer and a great baseball player? Absolutely.
1: I, I tell you, we're getting through great stories on the course of tonight's show. and Of course, Bob Shepard's voice is still used on Yes all the time uh, for folks that uh, get Yes across the country. Uh, and, and uh, of course, he always has the uh, significant factor of introducing a uh, cheater. And, uh, even though he had finished uh, his broadcasting career, a uh, PA career, uh, when cheater came up, he was still introduced by shepherd.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. Well, maybe they'll use it at Fox when uh, they introduce cheater on the, uh, the new pregame show and everything.
6: Yeah. He talk about a great Yankee, you know, uh, Derek Jeter uh, and uh, talk about a great Yankee Bob Shepard you know uh, I mean his voice uh was so synonymous uh, with Yankee Stadium and uh, you know what a tribute but uh, and what a career uh Dan what I was didn't... your
1: biggest hurdle what what did you think was going to be the most difficult thing for your transition from radio and, and uh, executive positions in the big five and all the other uh positions that you've held outside of just uh, broadcasting uh, or or uh, being the uh, 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 spokesman for the for the ball club uh, announcing uh what what was your biggest answer. what was your biggest obstacle
6: geez i, I never really looked on at this uh, or as uh, an obstacle of uh, getting into it i I just always felt uh, very privileged, very fortunate to have the opportunity. Uh, Bill Giles hired me in the fall uh, fall of 1971, following the first season of baseball that the Phillies played at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. They decided to make a change. And uh, ironically, uh, one of the factors that was most important to Bill in hiring me, uh, was that, uh, I knew, uh, baseball because, uh, at that time, the public address announcer for the Phillies also had the responsibility of operating the game in progress scoreboard runs, hits, errors, balls, strikes outs, And, uh, So Bill quiz me a lot on the game itself, uh, which, of course, I had played so much of. I, you know, wasn't nearly good enough to play professional baseball, but I was a pretty good Sandlot player, and uh, I certainly knew the game from, you know, playing it so much and and being such a big Phillies fan growing up. Uh, And uh, I I said to uh, Mr. Giles in our interview at the VET, Uh, Mr. Giles, if you hire me, I will be the quickest and most accurate scoreboard operator in baseball. And uh, I could tell when I said that that uh, Mr. Giles was impressed. And I think if there was anything that I said or did in that interview that convinced him I was the right man for the job, it was that statement. And you know what? For 32 years I announced right. Phillies baseball at Veterans Stadium, I was the quickest and most accurate uh,
0: <laughs>
6: scoreboard operator in baseball. Well,
1: Roger, That's we'll absolutely. let you wrap it up. Mike Simms is yeah. ready to go, but we'll let you wrap it up. Dan Baker, my final comments. It's always great to have a Hall of Fame run with us. You are it. All your great years. I look forward to number 51 this year. Roger, close it out. Yeah, you,
4: Thank you know, Don, Don I, I wanted to, to, both of you, uh, I just learned yesterday uh, that uh, David White, the former athletic director at Villanova, uh, I found this out from a woman that I supped with yesterday who was friends with him. He uh, passed away recently. And oh, was sorry, he at Villanova that. when you were running the Big Five, Dan? I, I,
6: I believe he was. I don't. Uh, recollect that Dave was the athletic director there. I, I believe he was a valued assistant athletic director, oh. a senior oh, administrator. Really uh, okay. but, um, Villanova has had many outstanding of course they have a great men's basketball. How about their women's basketball yeah. program this yeah, year? Maddie really Segrist well. is yeah. the all-time uh, leading scorer for Villanova women's basketball and men's basketball and uh, also for uh, Big East women's basketball but uh, right. they have a, they have a great yeah. program in place and they do. you know with the with the Big 5 in Philadelphia and Drexel you know of course uh, LaSalle Penn St. Joseph's Temple and Villanova uh, not only does Philadelphia have a great professional uh, sports uh, history but uh, it's collegiate intercollegiate programs are top notch as well
4: Absolutely. Well, listen, Dan, God bless. And I love to uh, both you and Kathy. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'm sure, I know before you'll be leaving, uh, get down to Florida uh, with Don and, and all those uh, folks in Florida and the good baseball weather. So uh, take care. Thanks for, as always, and we love you.
6: Uh, thank you. Thank you, Don, Roger, and uh, Frank. I love you guys. And go, Phillies.
0: Go 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 get. Great.
1: Well, we jump tracks now and go down to Washington Boulevard. We'll do this a couple of times in the next, couple of, the next hour. We're going to go down with Doug Hamilton, but we're going to go down with uh, Mike Zimzak first. And Mike is in line, I understand. I just saw it in the uh, Washington Post this morning. Uh, since the owner of the uh, Washington Baseball Club passed away at 92 or 97 years of age, that Mike Zimzak is next in line to buy it. Is is that great, (laughs) buddy?
0: I wish.
7: Now, Don Roger, I will say, you know, on
8: occasions like this, I like to quote Shakespeare.
7: I do believe in one of his plays he said, well, that
0: (laughs) sucks. Well,
1: you got a lot of news going on down there, down at Baltimore, uh, not only with the baseball club and what's going to finally happen. You outlined it a little bit last week, maybe we'll go over it again, because I guess, what, March 17th is the time that they have to have something uh, pretty much in order. Uh, maybe we'll just touch on it quickly before we go to some of the topics, Mike.
0: All right,
7: so um, let's start with football team. Okay. Uh, if. John Cosman from the New York Post had a really interesting article last week on where the sale of the Washington Commanders is. And it was a lot different than a lot of the reporting that you have right now. Okay, Uh, He was talking about there is the Josh Harris bid, which I told you was coming in. And there's a mystery bid. Uh, it could come from a number of parties. I have my suspicions as to what it is, but somebody else gave me another name, and that could be right. And Cosman's not saying what he knows about who that mystery better is, but there's an anonymous better. The fact of the matter is that the, uh, uh, that the, the uh, Dan and Tanya Snyder want $7 billion for the team. And none of the bids right now are going to come in over uh, uh, over six, much less over five. Right. Uh, and there's some hope that um, Bezos is sitting there waiting in the wings and that Bank of America could say to him later on, hey, you know, none of these bids came in over six. We'll sell the team right now for six, and he'll just, all right, I got $6 million for you right now. Mm.
4: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So do you think he's the
1: lead now, Mike?
7: Well, Bezos hasn't actually put
6: in a bid. So yeah, he keeps Instagram saying is, no every
1: time I pick up the paper, Mike. You know, he's been very quiet. Uh, but but being quiet, uh, some people suspect that is a positive note.
7: It may be that he's he's not willing to get into a bidding war, and he's waiting for Bank of America, who are the handling this this thing for the Snyders, to come and say to him. I right, here's final price. If you are willing to pay this much, this is what it is. Like he's not going to bid among, against himself,
4: right? And, and, but Josh Harris is still in the uh, in play.
7: It's basically what the people who have lodged formal bids. So, it's uh, statement of interest had come in. Uh, Josh Harris's group had said that they were willing to pay X amount of billion dollars. That got them a tour of the facilities and access to the books. His final formal bid is coming in a little bit less than what he had said that he was willing to pay originally, which is to be mm. understood. Um, the turnover is not that great. You still have to buy a new stadium. I can understand why he said, this may only be worth X amount of money. Uh, there is an anonymous bidder. Again, I have my thoughts on who that might be. Um, I've gotten some other names. Uh, nobody's 100% sure who that is. But we have a couple of people who we think that could be, uh, who, again, has gone in. But those are the only two bids that have Officially been listed for this, and both of them are well under the sale price of what uh, the, Dan Steiger said that he's willing. Now, of are we still sale.
1: working on the same date? The, you know, the March date. Are we still working? That something has to be done before the at that point, so that the owners, when they have their meeting at the end of the month, can vote.
7: Uh, I think everybody would like that to happen, but I'm starting
0: to think right now that might not.
1: Can they, let me ask you this then. If in fact nothing uh, transpires before, let's say, March the 15th, can the owners call a special meeting and make a decision on a sale two months later or six weeks later or a year later? Can, what, what's, the, what's the situation?
7: Can the owners call a special meeting if they decide they want to? Yes. But if a bid comes in after March, right, which would be or March fifteenth, like you said, which might be the deadline for the March winter meetings. Right. You know, they may uh they may just decide, you know what, we're gonna kick the can down the road and we'll vote on this when we get together again. That's kind of what happened with the sale of the, the uh Broncos. Right. It happened when it happened.
4: Roger? Yeah, it did. Uh, and, and a couple of uh, sales have been like that when all of a sudden uh, a yeah, player comes, you know, out of uh, nowhere and has the money. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a dumb deal, a dumb deal, uh, because I, I think the uh, uh, wasn't the Carolina Panthers. Uh, wasn't that Mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Richardson and uh, that that uh, buyer came very quickly and and uh, it was finalized so you know a lot of this stuff goes on behind the scenes we don't know much about it and then all of a sudden uh, it's out there and it's it's a done deal and I think about uh, when the Braves quietly announced they were moving out of Atlanta because they couldn't get with the deal that they wanted to redevelop the area. Like you were talking about redeveloping uh, areas, Mike, you know, for uh, where they would build a, a new stadium. Yeah. You know, if this gets finalized fairly soon, uh, where do you think the, uh, the site would be for a stadium? We've talked about it out in Virginia. Uh, I know the, the, the uh, Commodores there, are st- uh, still, uh, uh, their head, their headquarters is out in Ashburn, isn't it? Still there? Yeah, the headquarters is out in Ashburn. Um, yeah, if they
7: could get a deal done and bring the team back into DC, and there is enough land, right? There's enough area at the site of RF old RFK. If they could build down there. I think that would be the perfect place for them. Uh,
1: well, it's going to be really interesting. I, I, I think uh, because you know, coming up against the clock in a number of different areas. First of all, time to to get the thing settled. Secondly, to get uh, somebody to get the land and decide where they're going to build. You know, my other question is, the commissioner has been so avid about getting a minority owner, and uh, I. I I defer. I don't remember the fellow's name. That he's been after and after and after, supposed to be one of the uh, richest minority uh, possibility owners, but he hasn't really stepped forward and made made himself known that he wants to buy a team. He that he wants to be involved.
7: Well, you know the the the, the commanders are unique set of circumstances. Um, you've got to pay the freight to buy the team, but you've also got to realize, like, when you buy this team, there's also another one possible $2 billion that you've got to pony up because they need a new stadium. And for a lot of people, that's just not the best set of business to do. Um, I was looking at Forbes, and they were saying, like, this team clears $150 million a season the valuation that they are putting on against what you actually can bring in a season right now, vastly different. And to buy the team, you've got to be able to put, so if they're saying like $6 billion, you've got to be able to put 30% up, which my math tells me that's $2 billion. There's not a lot of people that have that. Just lying around where you can put that up in cash and be able to effectively finance another four on top of that. Roger?
4: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, there are, but then the, the thing is, do they want to uh, spend that amount of money if they think that uh, they can get it uh, for a lot less?
7: And, Roger, you also got to understand that the uh, Seattle Seahawks may come on the market in the next couple of years. They're saying like 18 months. Uh, the sale price might be a little bit lower, and their stadium's a lot newer. Um, oh yeah, you, you've really got to believe that you can turn this franchise in DC around. That you can take the branding, you can build a new stadium, and you have the capital to build a new stadium. And with better management, you can turn that around. Right, and that's you know. It's a risky proposition for the, the price that you're being asked to pay. Well,
1: well let's you know, jump ship for it. just a second to go over to the National Hockey League because Washington's in a precarious spot right now in terms of, you know, making their run for the playoffs like everybody else. But they've now lost the number one goal scorer in all of hockey. And the uh, last I've seen, Mike. Uh, there's no definite determination about when he's going. It's a family problem, and he's not going to be able to, or at least I don't know of any time that they've said that he's going to get back.
7: Yes, they said it was indefinite. Um, They're expecting him to miss at least. And when we talk about him, we're talking about Alexander Ovechkin. Um, They're expecting him to miss at least in the next three games which tells me that he's out of pocket for at least two weeks. Now, my, we don't know what this is, and nor should we. They said it's family problem that he needs to go and deal with. I'm going to respect his privacy and not um, do too much supposing on what that might look like. What I will say is, based on the time frame they've given me, it looks like it might require a flight back to Russia, which is going to be about – at least 14 days to a month. And where they're sitting right now. Uh, they cannot uh, I don't know how they're going to exist without Austral Ovechkin for
1: any yeah, what, 28 21 way. they've got they've got what uh 62 points right now and they yeah. can't go a bunch without without a, that should no. be able and, to play.
7: And this is what, you know, we've always wondered what the Caps franchise will look like without Alexander Ovechkin, because we really haven't seen it in the 21st century. And now we're going to see what they are without him. And I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think that, you know, in the time, whether it's two weeks, whether it's a month, whether it's six weeks, I think that the field is going to cut them adrift and, It's going to be – I just – they do – the Caps do not have enough without Alexander Ovechkin to sustain any sort of playoff contention. They need the goals that he scores. They need the leadership that he provides. And I think that it's going to be a problem for this franchise without him.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think you're absolutely right. Well, we're just about out of time in this segment. Doug Hamilton is standing by ready to go. Mike, by maybe by this time next week we'll have some answers on uh, what's going to happen with the football team, what's going to happen with the baseball team, what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. A lot of things on the table there that down there right now, and you'll have all the answers for us. Uh, uh, yeah, but, uh,
7: but, uh, but, but if you have all the answers, then you don't need me. So I'm hoping that you no, no, don't no. have the
1: answers. <laughs> we're hey, waiting look, for you easy to easy give to us the answers. We know you're right on <laughs> top of it.
4: And we got
7: soccer
1: coming
4: up. The uh, the United uh, had a two-two uh, tie today. Okay, I just got the uh, flash on that. All right. Well, well, we'll get into
7: that next week, gentlemen. Great to talk to you as okay. all have a good as week, always, Mike. Yeah, Mike.
1: And, and, and Toronto's up you. five to two right now in Chicago with eighteen minutes and fifty-five seconds to go in the third period. And of course, that uh, is a very, very important to the lightning and because uh, 'cause they're right in front of the lightning and so uh we'll get to that as the uh closing parts of the third last part of the hockey season really gets fired up. But Doug Hamilton is ready. Doug a couple of things. One, mm-hmm. uh Tiger's gonna come back this weekend, uh uh which mm-hmm. is very, very interesting to so many people and oh boy, oh boy, I was amazed at the odds. Uh I don't know whether you saw the odds sheets today or mm-hmm. not. On him making a cut, on him uh uh, winning a tournament on him, being in the top ten in the tournament. Uh, the odds are unbelievable <laughs> if you think he has any kind of chance. But uh, so uh, on the golf front, plus you've got everything going on. On the, on the Ravens point down there in Baltimore, mm-hmm. the Orioles, i got to get my credentials on Saturday. I'll be over there to get my credentials nice. here in uh, Sarasota. So we got a lot to talk about. Pick, yeah. pick, uh, let's start with the golf with Tiger. What? I know you – You're a
8: Tiger guy. Let's go backwards for a second. Um, So uh, Team team Hamilton is traveling to North Carolina this weekend to watch the stadium series. The Caps play uh, the Hurricanes. And um, I think you just had Mike on, and he was talking about, you know, not speculating and respecting Alex Ovechkin's private time Well, his dad died. So that's why he stepped away from it. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, So I don't don't know – what, what that requires with regard to you know the funeral or the grieving period or you know or whatever right. obviously he's he's going to miss some time but i don't i don't think we're talking about you know a month or six weeks i mean I think we're talking more like you know two weeks if that um i don't again i don't i don't know what that looks like from from that standpoint but um you know they they have other issues with you know injuries and 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 different you know, players that are out with uh Tom Wilson, who has had issues um you know I don't from watching a lot of the games, I mean backstrom hasn't really been to Nicholas backstrom of you know what we used used to see um you know they've got a lot of guys they've called up and, and guys that have played well, and some guys you've never heard of that are you know that played well, so um you know, I'm looking forward to uh watching them play on saturday evening and and um you know taking in a caps game. There's nothing better than watching. Hockey Live, it's it's such a great sport, and uh, we happen to be very lucky to have good tickets and uh, going to soak all that in. Uh, so that... No
1: questions,
8: no questions. Um, you know, looking at, you know, the Tiger Woods concept, I mean, I, I don't know where I saw it, but I saw there was a, a headline that said something about, you know, Tigers coming there to win, so... That's you know, what he said. Well, he always um, says
1: that.
8: You know, it was interesting because I saw... I think I got an email from, um, it's called Golf Works, and it's a website that you can go to that talks about um, equipment and technology and, and what's in the bag with, you know, certain players that win or, you know, formidable players to play. So um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, with all this, this new technology, um, Tiger Woods is still hitting a sim 3-wood, which is – now three generations ago, and he's still hitting the M5 Wood, which is four or five generations ago. So, um, you know, it's pretty crazy to think that one of the players, the greatest players of all time isn't, you know, not one of those guys that that sticks the most current stuff. I mean, you're on the Stealth 2 now um, in terms of the tailor-made product. Um, you know, his driver is the Stealth Plus, which is one generation ago. So, he really doesn't have any woods that are current in his bag, and his although his irons, they're pretty much the Tiger Woods blade irons from, from TaylorMade, which are like the P770s or 790s. I forget what it is. But anyway, um, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that he's not a current model person.
1: Right. Yeah, you'd think he'd be top of the line for new product, yeah. but sometimes well, when I mean... they change new products like that, it takes some time to – you know, really get adjusted to it. A lot of it, a lot of the players, uh, you know, especially you don't like to change the middle. that he'd be changing in the middle of sure. the season. At plates it's the Open, but uh, the British Open. But well, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see are, what he does.
8: A lot of those guys are really picky with their equipment. Um, you know, I think that there are some that are the the latest and greatest, and um, you know, now you have the. Removable heads from shafts. So in many cases, they'll um, keep their old shafts and put in a new head or whatever. But a lot of those guys, some of them are even involved in, in the testing and, and development processes themselves. Um, and I know that, you know, for instance, Tylist with, you know, whether it's Speeth or Justin Thomas or some of those guys that play the product. I mean, they're, you know, front and center when it comes to the, the release and and keeping that kind of stuff in their bag. So, um, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of a, I'm not. Wouldn't say I'm a techie nerd, but I I do pay attention to. You know, a lot of all that right. stuff, and I constantly get emails um, to go through different training periods, um, you know, with new products that come out and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, that being said, I mean, I think we all look forward to, to Tiger Woods uh, being healthy and, and potentially having, um, Give it a shot. Did, you know, well, it's it's going to be a limited schedule. We know that because of his age and, and his health and, and his body and those sorts of things. But can he play uh, relevant golf and, and stay, you know, a part of the fields that, that you know that he plays in from a tournament standpoint. Can he compete in majors? Can he uh, still do it? Um, and what know, a terrific was, weekend
1: last week at Arizona. I, oh my yeah. God. What I of the, a,
8: that waste Management tournament I think is, is one of those it's on my bucket list and I know that um you know my wife You has, want to
1: throw water bottles.
8: <laughs> well I, I would I would love set to be in that, set set in that kind of frat house I think it would be wonderful. I I saw something on LinkedIn there was um it was a president or, or a CEO of a company that he founded I, I don't recall the name of the company or the guy but it was on LinkedIn and it actually it was I'm sorry it was the guy who created it's the you ever heard of it the product is called the Whoop and essentially it's a um I wouldn't say it's a watch it, it's basically uh you wear it on your wrist and it monitors like uh, your heart rate, your sleep, and your recovery, and, and all these certain things. I have one somewhere, and I I didn't find it to be any of any value to me, but this guy created that company, founder and CEO. So he was wearing one, and he was playing in the Pro-Am, and he was walking through the tunnel to that Stadium Par 3, and his heart rate was at, at like, 90. And then when he stepped on the tee and he hit his shot, his heart rate went up to, like, 110 or 111. Um, oh you know, so there's you know, there's a lot going on when you're you know, you stand out there on the driving range and you hit a golf ball and nobody's watching and there's no penalty shots and you can just grab another one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like riding a bike, right? But then all of a sudden you stick a stadium full of people who are hooting and hollering and carrying on and I mean hell the one day the it was a hundred and twenty five yard shot and I watched three guys miss the green, you know, so you know, there's a lot going on there with with you know the circumstances. So I think
1: uh, it's pretty cool. Roger, you're up.
4: Well, with that stadium there, but uh, also there was a uh, a big announcement uh, there with the uh, Ravens, Doug, about yeah. Todd yeah. Gurley. Oh, coming well, from gonna... UGA.
8: Sure. We're going to keep that one in the family. Um, my my wife was very uh, upset that that uh, you know that Georgia lost their offensive coordinator, but also you know, mildly happy that the Ravens had landed him. And I'll be honest with you, uh, just for, you know, poops and giggles, um, I listen, as I told you, I listen to 105.7 a lot. And I was on my way to to the gym this morning, and um, I just decided to call into the show. And they were talking about, you know, this new OC hire and and this guy Todd Monken and, and, you know, are you happy with it and whatever. And, you know, I'd like to think that, I'm happy with the hire, but at the same time, everybody keeps correlating this hire to Lamar Jackson. And in my mind, I think the Ravens are putting themselves in places to hedge their bets. So they, they re-sign Roquan Smith because they want to obviously value defense, comma, in case Lamar Jackson leaves. They hire an offensive coordinator that's a little bit more pass oriented, comma, in case Lamar Jackson leaves, because I think that that widens their pool of quarterbacks that they could either draft or sign or trade for or whatever that may fit this guy's style of more passing pocket-wise. You see, I said this on my call to this show, and I'm like, this guy's name, I think you, you guys may know him, Vinny Serrato, I think he worked for the Redskins and also the uh, the 49ers. And he keeps yeah. saying that, Lamar Jackson is going to be the Ravens quarterback next year. And I said to him on the show, I said, Vinny, I don't understand uh, under any circumstance how you could possibly think that Lamar Jackson is going to be the Ravens quarterback at a $45 million number. Okay, you only have $25 million to spend. Where are you coming up with the other 20000000 million? You're going to have to cut players. You're going to have to restructure, you know, deals. And, and you're going to have to try to get him on the team. Great. You've done okay. that? Now that you've done that, now we have no money to sign any free agents, our own or otherwise. You can't sign your draft picks. And all these things you keep talking about with wide receivers that you think we need, which we do, you can't pay for. It's just not a fiscally responsible – unless they sign him to a long-term deal that's kind of cap-friendly on the front end, he's not going to be a Raven. You just can't do that. I don't care how you slice that pie you would have to cut five or six players to even get to the number. Right. It just doesn't make sense. So I, I I don't understand that.
4: Um you know, and I, I, well, I personally I'll t- believe t- tell you, Doug, on Sirius yeah. XM, uh NFL radio they were talking about it today. But the question that they had is What about uh, nobody, no offensive coordinator has been able to corral Lamar Jackson, okay? I mean, he's going to run, you know, he wants to run, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, how is uh, Todd going to uh, corral him and make him into a pocket-passing quarterback? Uh, Well, you know, a couple of them just don't think that can happen.
8: Well, here's here's what you know. Again, I think that you know you can kind of pick up the popcorn pieces here and, and think, you know, Greg Roman came in to establish a running style identity defense, uh, offense with Lamar Jackson's strength in mind, which was the run pass option.
4: Okay, that was what they. That's exactly what they alluded to. Go ahead. Greg Roman's no longer there. Right. If Greg Roman would have
8: stayed, I think you had a better chance of keeping Lamar. He ran the offense that fit him. Now you're going to bring in somebody else who's going to ask specific things of him that he's either not equipped or not, you know, comfortable Comfortable is a great word, to do. Will you bring in an like offensive Just
1: look coordinator, at the number of games that he's missed the last two years. I mean, 11. how can you consistently win if you have a quarterback that can't play because he's injured.
8: Well, I mean, again, I think if you're running a a business of any sort, I think you got to have employees that show up to work, you know, and and, I mean, it's obviously well-documented that the Ravens aren't a very good football team when he doesn't play because, you know, Tyler Huntley just didn't, he was serviceable, but he didn't perform. And so that's my point. And when you sign Roquan Smith to a long-term deal, and you start kind of hedging your bets here, I, I just I just think that the Ravens ultimately understand that, you know, Lamar Jackson not having an agent, because I think if he had an agent, this would have been done by now. Because you, you're going to see um, either Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Geno Smith, you're going to see those guys sign contracts um, that don't have – you know, the the, the Sean Watson, you know, all-guaranteed, all-in monies. So then what's Lamar going to do? So he's asking for something that happened once that he's not going to get. And the only reason the Ravens are going to franchise him is going to say, and this could get ugly, you know, mind you, because if they franchise him and he says, you know what, I'm going to extend my middle finger to you guys and I'm not going to sign the deal or I'm going to sign it and not show up to any of the, you know, new offensive coordinator installs, and I'm going to be a kind of a instead of a hold out, a hold in, if you will. Um, I mean, what are they supposed to do? I mean, that's just this could get really, really ugly, and I, I truly believe, you know, that they're going to franchise him in an effort to have him sign it and then trade him somewhere near or on draft day. And my, I'm telling you, my target is the Houston Texans. You know, they have the number pick; they need a they need a quarterback. Where
4: where he goes back to the Texans?
8: I think he goes to Houston for picks two ten and thirty three as a starting point, and I think there's more. I think there's more with that because you're telling me that Russell Wilson at age thirty six got two twos, two ones, and three players. I think Lamar Jackson's worth more than that.
4: So, uh, well, I mean, so he goes he goes to Houston. I'm sorry, where you were talk, talking about what Watson got. So he would yeah. he would go to Houston, which is where Watson was. Correct.
1: Okay. And they
8: have
4: a brand new head coach. They have a they have
8: a need for a a quarterback. They have the number two pick, the number ten pick, and then the number thirty three pick. I think that's a starting point, and I think there's more with that.
1: So you think they'd be willing to give up three draft choices and players? <coughs> excuse me for Lamar Jackson. Well, obviously they have a lot more cap space than, than the Ravens do, but sure. uh, that's boy, that's a that's a major whew, that's a major give up for a guy that's going to have to do the same thing there. He's got well, to protect himself and not get hurt.
8: You have to remember, as I mentioned, Russell Wilson's thirty-six years old. He got two number ones, two number twos, and three players.
1: Can't believe it! Lamar I Jackson, can't believe it.
8: Lamar Jackson's, what, 25? Mm, yeah, 25, worth,
1: 26,
8: yeah. Yeah, he's he's worth more than Russell Wilson when it comes to draft picks, for sure. And I think if you're the Ravens and oh, I agree commands, with that. you could command that, because, look, the question, and this has always been Vinny Serrato's kind of fallback, is, okay, you trade Lamar Jackson, you get a bunch of draft picks. Okay, who's your quarterback? That's a good question. But I think between two ten and twenty two, with the with the Ravens draft picks, they're going to find one. You know, I I don't know. I mean, you've got um, other possibilities that exist out there with regard. Well, you got a lot
1: of quarterbacks right now that are out there that, that could, you know, be bridges sure. between uh, when you make a Absolutely. draft choice and for sure. You
0: know,
1: there's three or three or four quarterbacks right now that are right there looking for help.
8: I would totally agree with you, um, but you know, the the real cool thing is I think what was Today, uh, pitchers and catchers arrived in, in camp, and uh, I think that you know we've. I personally turned the corner and shifted my focus to uh, a little bit of Orioles baseball and, and some excitement to uh, to this season.
4: Roger. Well, you know, you know, talking about the quarterbacks. Look at Derek Carr. He was let go by the Raiders. Just mm-hmm. you know, released. He can write yeah. his own ticket now, and he That's can sign right. with anybody tomorrow. Or tonight, he
0: can. You know, whereas again, the
4: the, the Packers uh, they're calling the shots on Rodgers. Well, the the Raiders were
8: on the hook for about forty million dollars if they didn't release Derek Carr, and so, you know, I think Derek Carr's probably looking for more than a bridge type contract. Um, mm-hmm. I think you'd be stuck if if you're the Ravens. I think you'd, I mean I wouldn't say stuck, but you would be relegated, if you will, to somebody like possibly Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, you know, we don't know what the hell Aaron Rodgers is doing. Um,
0: yeah, because know, the I same
1: problem could... comes up, Doug. I mean, you, as you say, only got $26 million to work with, you know. <laughs>
0: right.
1: It's still well, the he... same problem. It's the same amount of money. And you go out and sign somebody like Carr, you can't give him a big contract either.
8: No, you can't. And I – Look, man, I, I believe that, I mean, you have, you know, Marcus Peters is, you know, a, a really good corner still. You've got Ben Powers, who was your starting left guard. You've got um, Tyler Huntley still not signed. I mean, you you have a, Justin Houston. You have a bunch of people that were a nucleus of your football team that you're going to have to say goodbye to, in addition to, you know, you – Gus Edwards they're talking about as a cap casualty, Um, you know, the the backup running back. You're talking about Patrick Queen being a possible trade candidate, Uh, 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 Chuck Clark being a possible trade candidate. You're going to start breaking up the nucleus of your team in an effort to sign your quarterback, and then you're not going to have any wiggle room. I just don't see that. Well, we're going to
1: have to hold it it right there until next week. Maybe we'll know more at that time, and we'll turn it over to our executive producer, Fred Carroll, right now. Thanks everybody. Roger, good to be with you again. You uh, too, Chuby, guys, Doug, nice uh, to have you at all our guests. Frank thank you very, guys. very much. Frank Carroll, take it away.
4: Take care of that Carroll family, family, Frank.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, President of the Brooklyn really, with great appreciation to the men with the United States Armed Forces and the, men with the Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please, take a time just to let them know you know that they're a wink, a handshake, anything would really did make make their day. <clears throat> Not everywhere, but a, wearing a uniform is bad. These further are dedicated to those who lost their lives on line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colecap, Patrolman De- Jeffrey Yazowitz, Patrolman uh, David Curtis, Sergeant Thomas Spatinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Chiller, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Cotton, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Charles LeBake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Onofa Christman, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, M- Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant R.S. Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Williams, Fire Department. <clears throat> Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Alpo, Longo Key, Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Williams, Fire Department. Uh, Deputy Mike Hargrave, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. and Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. At some point, till then, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your family always in a hollow of his hands. <clears throat> 1999, county dispatch to 1999, county dispatch to 1999. All units be advised. 1999, response to his last emergency. May God rest his soul, and all the souls of the faith departed.